Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, everyone. My name is Manpreet and welcome to this week's Through the Noise podcast, where regular listeners know we take a look at recent developments and put them in a long-term context, while also identifying potential opportunities for more nimble investors. Now, earlier this week, I was in Kenya um, discussing the market outlook with investors across Nairobi and Mombasa. What was interesting is that for many investors, the uncertainty over how much longer the move lower across asset classes can continue has been the main challenge. However, as we've discussed in many of these podcasts, these uncertain times also tend to be the times in the cycle when some of the best long-term investment opportunities present themselves. Now, last week, we discussed why we still thought a three-hour strategy of rebalancing into high-quality or undervalued assets, rotating into income assets, and risk managing was still relevant. Now, since then, we've had yet another 75 basis point Fed rate hike and more uncertainty over where exactly the Fed's terminal rate sits. That's why today we're joined by Rajat Bhattacharya, uh, who runs Macro Strategy, who will help put this in context and explain why we believe a three-hour strategy remains relevant even after the Fed meeting. So welcome, Rajat. Um, and to jump right in, I mean, the Fed was clearly the main event and, and based on the past statement is showing no signs of slowing down like its peers in Australia and Canada. What's your take on the Fed's message and what does it mean for our three hours investment strategy? Hi, Manpreet. Yes, uh, market hopes of a Fed policy pivot, and we shall call it hopes for now rather than expectations, were dashed yet again this week. As we expected, the Fed remains firm on turning its policy rate now at a 14-year high of around 4%, more restrictive until the specter of inflation has been sustainably quashed. The U.S. job market remains too tight for the Fed's comfort. Chair Powell was clear in signaling that the central bank's 4.75% terminal rate projection, updated only uh, in September, is already out of date and is likely to be revised higher next month. Markets are pising in a terminal rate of 5.25% by May 2023, up from just 5% price uh, only a week ago. All this means is that the three-week rally in equities may be getting uh, long in the tooth. As another bear market fizzles, bear market rally fizzles, I should say, we, we gain more confidence in our 3R strategy that you mentioned of rebalancing into high-grade corporate bonds, rotating into diversified income allocation and risk managing through higher than benchmark allocation to cash while hedging inflation risks via energy sector equities. Okay, so so high quality bonds clearly and high, and I guess there's diversified multi-asset income, clear opportunities coming through from, from higher interest rates and bond yields. But on the challenges side, one area that does continue to be challenged by this real interest rise in, in yields and interest rates is the technology sector. So in your view, does a hawkish Fed mean the Nasdaq's underperformance versus the S&P 500 is set to continue? Yes, uh, indeed. We believe the Nasdaq is likely to continue underperforming the S&P 500 until at least expectations of Fed rate hikes peak. Technology, communication services and consumer discretionary sectors comprise almost 80% of the Nasdaq 100 index and around 44% of the S&P 500 index. So you see a big difference there in the constituency, uh, in the constituents of, of the, these two indices. So these three sectors that I talked about, technology, communication services, and consumer discretionary are dominated by tech and internet companies, 
that have been significant that have seen a significant valuation derating over the past year albeit from relatively high levels as interest rates move to a higher regime resulting in the nasdaq 100's underperformance in addition recent q3 earnings have seen the most positive earning surprises in the energy healthcare and financial sectors discretionary and communications sectors have had negative earning surprises while technology was in the bottom half in terms of earning surprises hence the earnings adjustments and expectations of further rate hikes particularly given the fed's hawkish message are likely to favor the s&p 500's outperformance for now within us equities we prefer exposure to our preferred sectors of energy and healthcare which have delivered the most positive q3 earning surprises we still see room for energy stocks to catch up to their strong earnings performance while healthcare equities are reasonably valued and provide defensive exposure in an uncertain macro environment we also favor high dividend equities as they tend to do well in an inflationary environment and have also outperformed both the s&p 500 and nasdaq 100 in the past year thanks rajat uh, i think a lot of sort of uh, sector ideas um, in, in that sort of last rush response but rolling it back up to the 3r strategy now one of the 3r's was to rebalance into pockets of value and one equity market where valuation starting to look in- increasingly extreme are chinese equities in your view have we seen or are we close to the bottom yet or do we have further to go hi manpreet yes uh, i think we believe uh, markets are offering attractive tactical opportunities in oversold chinese large cap equities such as the hansing index for instance so positioning remains light and valuation remains cheap technicals are turning positive first let me uh, talk to the trading volumes we saw in the hansing index over the past couple of weeks Th- this they have been uh, nearly three times uh, the normal volume seen in the second half of 2022 Volume is a useful indicator as it shows the level of activities. This indicates a significant change of hands in shares in the area between fourteen six six fourteen thousand six hundred and sixteen thousand. This strong indication of large side bargain hunting is likely to lead to stabilization in Chinese equities. Moreover, on days when the index opened at the highs, closed at the lows, there was relatively little volume, suggesting that the selling power. was relatively limited on these bearish days over the past couple of months some drivers have also started to set up chinese equities more positively in our view so the first one is the earning season this month expectations are already very low and the second is the central economic work conference uh, in mainland china in december 2022 the authorities there are, ex- are expected to propose concrete actions to strengthen growth in line with the state policy goals these are likely to be catalysts in our view that bargain hunters are relying upon while we believe these fundamental drivers and technical picture are more positive risks we are watching include the us midterm elections this month and the continued assessment of the auditing for chinese companies listed in the us the midterm election elections i should say you know is 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 something that uh, i think the markets have already factored in a republican win in at least the house of representatives if not the senate so that is almost what is what what is known but what what will be interesting to see is the margin of victory in the house of representatives probably for the republicans 
Okay, um, shifting gears a little bit, what about Asian dollar bonds? I mean, in recent months, obviously, we've spent a lot of time discussing credit quality issues in relatively riskier sectors like real estate uh, in Asia. But markets were caught by surprise last week by a credit event in Korea. Um, is there something there that we should worry about? What you're referring to there uh, is, uh, Manpreet, uh, the surprise default of a Korean one denominated onshore asset-backed security, which squeezed onshore liquidity resulting in short-term spike in the Korean won yields, despite several stabilization measures imposed by the regulators. The worries were, however, largely limited to onshore Korean markets with the offshore Korean <clears throat> excuse me, uh, dollar bonds sector remaining largely stable outside of a limited sell-off in the riskier subordinated bonds as sub-asset class. However, we assess the impact of these credit events on the Asia dollar bond asset class has relatively contained for now, given Korea accounts for around 10% of the Asia dollar bonds, uh, dollar bonds market capitalization. Uh, contagion risks to Korean dollar bonds are likely to be well contained in our view because the regulators have, have stepped in and they are implementing stabilization measures. Hence, we retain our preference for Asia dollar bonds at an aggregate level and for relatively higher investment-grade bonds within this category. We are much less constructive on the China-US dollar property sector as we've discussed before in this forum, with the sector likely to continue facing headwinds in the next 12 months or so. Okay, and finally, um, over in Australia, uh, we've seen the RBA seems to be softening its tone a little bit on the margin, uh, potentially ahead of the Fed. Uh, do you believe the Aussie is still set to rebound or or could the RBA and indeed Chinese growth worries keep the pressure on the currency? Yeah, the Aussie dollar has weakened re recently in the face of dollar strength and is currently hovering around the support level of 0.63. We ex expect the Aussie dollar to weaken modestly further to around, let's say, uh, 0.62 levels in the next one to two, uh, uh, let's say, three months, in view of the relatively less hawkish stance by the RBA. This week, the central bank increased its benchmark interest rates by 25 basis points as expected. The rate differential to the dollar yields would likely keep the Aussie dollar lower in the near future. Nonetheless, one of the key takeaways from Governor Lau's speech uh, after the decision meet, um, was his hint that the RBA is leaving an option open for adjusting the pace of rate hikes faster. In, the, in addition, the central bank highlighted its policy, in its policy statement that major tailwinds existed for an upward bias on inflation, mostly due to global factors, but added domestic demand was also playing a role. We believe in the next 12 months, factors such as global inflation, a relatively strong economic growth in Australia, and a weaker dollar following an eventual Fed pivot and China's reopening would support the Aussie towards our 12-month target of around 0.66. Okay, thanks very much, Radhat, for coming to speak about uh, what, the, what impact the Fed's message uh, has on investors. Thank you, of course, listeners, for joining us. And, and before we close, I just want to take the opportunity to sum up, of course, the key messages from, from our conversation. So, the Fed sustained hawkishness, of course, likely to keep risk assets under pressure in the near term. But let's not forget that these kind of markets are also where you know we, we tend to get some of the best opportunities. And in our view, in the three R's investment strategy, where we see those clearly, as, as Roger told us, are in high quality bonds, which offer the highest yields in a decade, 
um, a diversified allocation of income generating assets, and of course, risk managing via hedges like cash and indeed even energy sector equities. Uh, that combination, we think, uh, a prudent course for investors. We'll end there, leaving you with those thoughts. And of course, we wish you a great weekend and a very successful week ahead. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.